I'm surprised it went on where it did. Yeah. yeah. So 1 Peter 2, uh, and starting at the first verse. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I laid a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. <clears throat> Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful de desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rita, and thank you, Claire, for what you're going to say to us. So over to you, Claire. Thank you, Steve. Um, this, this is um, this is an interesting sort of uh, throwback for me. The very first time I ever spoke in Redland was at a family service, and I spoke on this passage. Um, <clears throat> it, it was an illustrated talk, so we had big stones, and anyway, it's just it was an interesting um, experience to kind of revisit that. Um, when I think about this passage, my first thoughts always go to um, dry stone walls. Um, Derek, can we have the first picture? Yeah, so I expect most of you have seen dry stone walls. I've come across them mostly in um, in Yorkshire. Um, they're a common way of dividing up uh, patches of land, aren't they? Um, and this shows what I imagine is probably experts. And what they do is they they this is usually rebuilding walls. So they've got a pile of stones which have once been in the wall. And as you see, some of them are quite big. Uh, they'll vary in size and they choose the right stone to fit in the right place 
in order to make a solid, firm wall. And it's an amazing process, if you think about it. You know, you build a wall out of bricks, they're all the same size and shape. Um, it doesn't matter which one you choose next. It matters how you place it, but it doesn't matter which one you choose next. And you don't have to look at all the bricks and decide, you know, which is the appropriate one to go in the next place. And very occasionally, they might have to knock off the odd projection or clean something off, but mostly, uh, they choose the right one to go in the right place. And of course, the structure is much stronger when the stones are all built up together than each stone is individually. And the stone walls, can we have the next uh, slide, Derek, and you can see what it looks like. I'm sure this is, well, obviously this isn't the first, the same wall, but this is the finished effect. So you, you um, put all the stones together to make, and then you put a line of stones along the top to cap it off. Um, that's more about making it look pretty, really, but it also protects it from the rain and the weather. And these walls provide, they provide boundaries, they mark out the boundaries of people's land, but they also provide protection. So if you've got livestock or crops on the field, then they provide protection from and shelter from the wind and weather. Um, if you see sheep in bad weather in a field with a dry stone wall, then they'll be sheltering at the base of it. Um, and they'll often deliver their lambs at the base of a wall. And of course, it also provides, when it's been there for a while, I think you can see it a bit in here, it provides habitat for animals, um, particularly insects, and for plants. Plants will, will grow in the gaps. So it's a whole ecosystem, a dry stone wall. So in this passage, um, Peter, um, he calls himself at the beginning the Apostle Peter, the There'll be some debate, I think, about whether it's actually the Peter we think of as the Apostle Peter, but I don't think that matters. <clears throat> Peter's talking to new Christians throughout the Jewish diaspora, probably facing persecution, Jews and Gentiles, reminding them of their heritage and their need to purify themselves. So in verses one and two, one to three, he's reminding them of their need to purify themselves as the Jews would have done before they went up to the temple in Jerusalem. Derek, can I have the next slide? So this is a completely other sort of dry stone wall, isn't it? <clears throat> this is what we now call the Wailing Wall. So this is what's left of the temple in Jerusalem. And you can see those enormous blocks. Now, no one stonemason would have been able to pick up one of those blocks. Um, and you can see it's dressed stone. They're not just... Um, virgin stone, so to speak. They've been worked and made. But nevertheless, this is a dry stone wall. And the Jews would have had to purify themselves before they went up to the temple in Jerusalem. Thanks, Derek. Do you want to switch off um, screen sharing? And go back to. Yeah, fine. <laughs> so. The temple historically was where God lived among his people, wasn't it? That's under the old covenant. Now, now under the new covenant, we have a new temple in a sense, in a sense. And it's us, isn't it? We're the stones that God is building into his house on the foundation of the living stone, Jesus. And, and this is a theme in the Gospels, isn't it? You think about um, Jesus's story about the wise man who built his house on the rock. And we understand that the rock that we build our Christian lives on is Jesus. 
we need to build our lives on that foundation stone. And in case we might think that we're just inanimate objects in God's sight, Peter calls us living stones. So we're not just blocks. We're not just there sitting, unable to do anything. God chooses us to build into his church, to build up as his children. But we have a part to play as well, don't we? We make up the temple where God lives now, the church, not just locally, but worldwide. But we're also the priesthood. So Peter's mixing his metaphors, isn't it? We're offering ourselves as spiritual sacrifices, as well as being the temple within which the sacrifice is made and within which the people of God grow. Of course, there's no more offering of animal sacrifices in a temple made of stone, which is what happened in the temple in Jerusalem. That all finished with Jesus, the one perfect, sufficient sacrifice for everything. Jesus, the spotless lamb, was sacrificed for us. And we are the people of God, the holy nation, because of what Jesus has done. And Peter's um, quoting here from Exodus 19. So he's identifying the people of God today, Christians, with the people of God in the Old Testament and saying we too are the people of God, the holy nation, because of what Peter's, what Jesus has done. So Peter's mixing his metaphors, but we can see what he's getting at, can't we? And we can see where our responsibility lies to be a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Now, stones being built into a dry stone wall are all different, aren't they? Um, not like the dress stones in the temple. They're all different shapes and sizes. But the skilled craftsman can see exactly how each one will fit in. Um, I think that's the most difficult. I've watched programs about they do courses. You can go and learn how to be a dry stone waller. And the most difficult part isn't the physical business of, you know, fitting, fitting the stones in, lifting them and putting them in and making sure they stay put. The most difficult part is working out which stone will go where, which one you put in next. The skilled craftsmen can see that almost immediately and they can do it quite quickly. And we are all different, aren't we, with different characteristics and gifts. That's what we were talking about in our breakout groups just now. And if we allow him to, God can fit us into his wall to make us a strong, stable, beautiful structure that will withstand the storms and bring glory to the builder. I imagine when you finish the dry stone wall, you stand back and you think, that was a good job. That will stand up to whatever is thrown at it. That will do what I want it to do. Of course, we shouldn't push the analogy too far. God chooses us. We're saved by grace. There's nothing we can do to achieve our being put into the wall. But we're living. We're a new creation, aren't we? In Christ, we're a new creation. We have gifts and skills and things we can contribute to God's church. And one of the ways we can build each other up is to be aware of each other's gifts, spiritual and practical. If you think a brother or sister should be filling a particular role or participating in a particular ministry, then prayerfully tell them so. It's up to us to be aware of our own gifts and to be listening to what God might be asking us to do for him. It's the New Testament pattern, isn't it? In the early church, people didn't say, oh, you know, I think I could do this job. I'm offering to do it. Generally speaking, the leadership prayed together and decided who would be the best person 
and pick them out and commission them. Uh, and that's ideally, I think, how things should happen in the church today. And it often doesn't. You know, if you work for a mission organisation today, on the whole, people kind of make a decision for themselves or very often anyway about whether they're called to missionary service and then they approach a mission agency hopefully they will have told their church and their church leaders but that doesn't always happen which is not the new testament way of doing it you know god's holy spirit should tell the leadership who would be best to do this job or offer themselves from anyway that that's that's um the scriptural basis for how that should be done to me so I've been talking about our place as living stones. Peter focuses on Jesus, doesn't he? The living stone, the corner or foundation stone. He uses Old Testament imagery to help his hearers understand just how significant this is. Jesus is the basis for the whole edifice. Everything depends on him. If you don't get the placing of the first stone right, if it isn't solid, it's not going to be stable either. And the living, the, the, the stone that is Jesus is infinitely precious. Apparently, this word is a really strong word. It's like, um, you know, the center stone in, a, in an amazing jewelry setting or the thing that is in the center of the window display, the thing that is most valuable. I, I was watching, um, what's it called? Antiques Roadshow on Sunday night. And I can't think what it was, but somebody brought in something that would have been worth 30 or 40,000 pounds at auction. And you could see their faces. I think they were probably thinking I better increase my um, insurance. So some things are just so precious, it's difficult to describe. And that's the word that's used here for Jesus. Precious in God's sight, but sadly rejected by the very people he came to save. Jesus came to his own people, the Jewish nation, and they didn't recognize him. They rejected him. And sadly, I think Jesus is still a stumbling block for many. It's interesting. People are often OK with talking about God, God, the creator, uh, God, the loving father. But if you introduce the subject of Jesus, and particularly if you want to talk about his divinity, his death on the cross for our sin and his resurrection, then things are much more difficult. It can be a real stumbling block, maybe because the claims of Jesus demand a response, don't they? You can't just accept who Jesus was and what he came for and not respond in some way. It might be rejection, but it, it demands a response. And I think people find that hard. So we're living stones built up together into this edifice that is the church. So the church, we know the church isn't the building, the church is the people. But one way of thinking about the church is that it's a building made up of people. And what does that mean for us? Are we content just to stay in our place in the wall and hope everything turns out all right? Can we be living stones on our own? I mean, it seems to me, <clears throat> you know, if you look at stones in a field, they can be very beautiful. You know, they can be covered in moss. They can be a lovely shape. You can imagine pictures in them. You can feel the texture. But on their own, they're just stones on their own. If they're not built up into a wall, they're not functioning, really. And that's the same for us, isn't it? 
Um, it's really hard to grow and develop and be the Christian that God wants you to be if you're not part of the church. I mean, we're part of the church anyway, but if you don't become actively part of the church. And I think the other thing about living stones, we expect to be changed, don't we? Stones, well, they get weathered a bit, um, but on the whole, they're there. A stone is a stone. But we expect to be changed gradually by the work of God's Holy Spirit, don't we? Uh, the other analogy that's sometimes used um, is of potter and clay. So we're being moulded. Now, that can be uncomfortable, can't it, when you watch a potter throwing a pot and you think, I'm glad I'm not the clay <laughs> because it looks quite energetic. Right up to the end of our lives, we're being changed, moulded, maybe having bits chipped off, maybe having edges smoothed out although we're being changed from the inside. And that happens right up to the end of our lives, doesn't it? We're never the finished article this side of heaven. I'm sure you've heard before about the T-shirt that says, don't be angry with me, God hasn't finished with me yet, because he hasn't finished with any of us. Peter goes on in verses 9 and 10 to tell these new Christians who they are in Christ and what they are for. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And it doesn't say so in my Bible, but actually Peter's quoting from um, Exodus in this um, in, in these verses, this is what um, God called his chosen people in, in the, under the first covenant, under the old covenant. So what, what are we for? We're for worship. We're to offer spiritual sacrifices in God's house as well as being in that house. Oh, not being in that house, as well as being the house. So we're to be the house and we're to be... The, the priests, if you like, offering the sacrifices. And the, the main purpose of our being is for worship. We're never more truly God's people than when we're worshipping him, either together or individually or in ones and twos. Sung worship, yes, but not just that. Also the worship of our work or just the quiet meditation as we use our senses in God's wonderful world. So many different ways we can think of to worship. And that's what we're mostly here for. And we're to declare his praises. This isn't to be something that we keep to ourselves. We're to speak out for him, to sing for him. When we worship, we tell others about the one that we're worshipping. The message says, tell others of the night and day difference he's made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. There's that amazing phrase, isn't there? Once you were not a people, lo ami, no people. That's what God called his people when they disobeyed and uh, were rejected effectively. But now you are the people. So as Peterson says, you've gone from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. That describes the process, doesn't it, of redemption in Christ. Back in chapter one, Peter reminds his hearers that they must love one another deeply from the heart. 
in verse 22, it says, now you've, you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers. Love one another deeply from the heart. And this is the mortar, isn't it, that holds us together as Christian brothers and sisters. The glue, if you like. We're the house, but we're also the household, the family of God. Now, I know there isn't mortar in a dry stone wall. That's the whole point. A dry stone wall is held together by the skill of the craftsman to pick the right blocks to fit together and by physical forces which stop it from falling over. But in the building that's the church, we need something to keep us together, especially when there are stresses and strains. We need the unity of the spirit in the bonds of love. When you're rubbing up against another stone that feels awkward or cold or spiky, love is what can restore a smooth relationship. Sometimes it means a bit of reshaping on both sides and we have to be prepared for that. We need to be looking out for places where the walls might need a bit of extra attention. If there are crumbling stones or where a stone's fallen out, now stones can't help each other. We know we can as people of God in his living church. That's what pastoral care is about, isn't it? It's about looking out for each other, knowing how to help. And we might need to become more aware of the firm foundation, what its place is in the building. We need maybe to pay more attention to the foundation stone, make sure that we're connected. Make sure that we are fulfilling our correct place. And we also need to make space for new stones that might take a while to bed in. I think, um, you know, the picture that I showed at the beginning of that completed wall with the capstones on, lovely and, and you know, illustrates a point. But of course, in the, in the Church of God, in the building that we're building up, there always have to be room for more stones, for extensions, for, for, for growth. So we need to be growing as individuals and developing and fitting in better and fulfilling our place. But we also need to make space for more stones to join and we need to be welcoming. And we need to recognise when stones maybe are, you know, actually asking to join. Um, yeah, well, that, that's maybe, that's, that's stretching the analogy too far, isn't it? But that's the problem with analogies. They're, they're useful. <clears throat> they make good illustrations, but you have to be careful not to push them too far. So we're living stones. We're a holy nation of people belonging to God. And Peter goes on in verses 11 um, and 12, which I actually hadn't thought about until uh, now, but this is about behaviour. It's not just about how we develop spiritually, how we grow. It's about how we behave. Uh, and it's kind of a sandwich, isn't it? Peter starts chapter two with rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, en envy, slander of every kind. <clears throat> Tom Wright, when he's commenting on this, says it's interesting that these are exactly the sorts of um, sins that are really very prevalent. So as a church, we can, you know, people can say, oh, no, 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 we don't get involved in all those sexual extreme sins. But these sorts of things, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, we can all imagine getting involved in that, can't we? Gossip, undermining people. And then he's bookmarking this with this, um, the, these two verses. Abstain from sinful desires, live good lives so that the people who are not in the church can see your good deeds and glorify God. 
And that's, uh, you know, a salutary thing to remember, isn't it, as we uh, as we go back into our normal lives. So that's all I wanted to say about living stones. Um, shall, shall we pray together? Father God, we thank you for this amazing picture of us as the New Testament people of God, a holy nation, a people belonging to you. Help us as we live our lives individually and as part of your church to see how we can best fit in to make a strong and durable church that will uh, survive the attacks of the evil one and the difficulties of everyday life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.